Well, I am glad to be back. Um, uh, it has been, um, you know, it's it's something we were told uh, two years ago that we would all eventually get COVID, um, and sure enough, I did. And um, I'm told I'm over it now, and you'll just have to judge for yourself whether that's true. But I had some time away, and I want to uh, thank the people who filled in while I was gone um, with these uh, sudden and unexpected uh, changes to our worship service. So I, I've had a lot of time to think about sickness, and so that's that's been on my mind. And um, uh, that's what I want to talk to talk about today. Um, I saw this meme online when I was uh, when I was uh, recovering. It was this. Um, so uh, you can see there's the uh, the woman who feels jilted um, by her uh, boyfriend because he's looking at the monkeypox. So um, the clickbait media has already turned from from uh, COVID nineteen, and they're they're going after monkeypox now. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Certainly, the the media is getting all excited about monkeypox and how they can you know uh, hijack our amygdalas with uh, frightening stories of. Uh, Monkeypox, and as I was as I was reading these stories, I was thinking, hold on a second. Uh, you know, I felt kind of like that that uh, woman in the picture. I'm going, wait a minute, I just got COVID. <laughs> you know, don't I get to you know enjoy you know this this relationship we have? But but uh, no. Um, so um, so I was thinking about this uh, because because it, it, it's an issue. How do we think about illness? How how do we think about illness? Given that there's going to be all kinds of messages coming at us. How can we think about illness and, and sickness, and how can we think about it well? Um, because it is a hard topic. It's hard to think well about um, sickness. Um, uh, and the reason for that, partly because sickness is so complex today. You know, we hear everything from, you know, you know the, the, the very, you know, biochemical level of the way viruses work, and we hear about you know, mRNA viruses, uh, um, vaccines, and things like that, all the way up to you know uh, uh, um, people's psyches and and how the, how they operate, um, and the connection, you know, body mind, and and you know all these things that um, affect illness. And so it's a complicated topic, and you know, there's people who study for years just to uh, understand a little bit of it. So it is hard to think about sickness that way, but it's also hard because it is an emotional topic. It's it's very difficult to think coolly and dispassionately about about um, about sickness, and, and the reason for that, you know, I mean, there's a reason the clickbait media pushes those stories because they know it drives engagement. You know, there's all these stats how people will will respond when they're frightened, and so they try to hijack our amygdalas. They try to to make us frightened. They try to bring us to that a state of arousal where we need to go see what the news is. You know, why is this breaking? And um, so, so we we see this uh, um, in the way that our um, our culture uh, pushes it on us, and because it is frightening, um, because because it is frightening, that makes it hard to think. That's just the way we are. If if our ancestors had stopped to think about the lion, they would have been eaten by it. So when the lion jumped up at them, they ran away because they were afraid. And so it's very hard to think clearly when you're afraid. And um, so it's difficult to think, but we do need to think sooner or later, because sooner or later, um, we're going to wake up in the morning, and there's going to be that little tickle in the back of your throat, and you're going, is that just, you know, I slept weird or something, you know, I had my mouth open or something, or is that death? You know, where, where are you, you know, this is the first sign, you know, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna have that weird spot 
on our leg and say, what is that? You know, that's kind of odd. And we'll have to go see whether that's something that we need to be concerned about. We're going to have the doctor tell us someday, you know what, I want to run some more tests. Because that's what it's like living here on earth. We have to think about sickness because we know ultimately everybody will eventually get sick whether it's us or somebody we care about. So we do need to think about sickness. And um, uh, we don't always think clearly about it. And sometimes what we think is simply not true. I had a a friend in another church, um, (laughs) and she was diagnosed with lung cancer. And it would prove terminal for her. She died a couple of months later. And when I was talking to her about it, she told me that she deserved it because she had spent all those years smoking cigarettes. And... You know, I have, I have at least a little bit of tact, so I didn't say you're wrong, but, but I believe she was wrong. I don't believe that, that she could be so, um, so sure that the, the reason that she got lung cancer was because she had smoked cigarettes. And in fact, um, the vast majority of smokers, lifelong smokers, do not get lung cancer. Um, so, uh, so that's that's just the reality. It's a mystery. And so scientists are on the case. They're trying to figure that out. Certainly there's a great uh, likelihood, uh, a much greater likelihood if you do smoke, then you are more likely to get um, lung cancer. But there are people who have never smoked or even worked in a smoky environment who get lung cancer nevertheless. Um, and there's people, of course, who live to a ripe old age um, despite having smoked. So so it's not so clear to me that you can simply say, well, I deserve it. You know, it's my own fault. Um, because we don't know whose fault it is. Um, and, you know, I could argue just as well, you know, and again, this is not something I had an argument with her, but, but she had survived two previous cancers. She had, over the course of 30 years, surpri- uh, uh, survived two different cancers. And, you know, you could make just as good of an argument. It's like, no, you've used up all your bad luck. And, you know... Who's right? Did she deserve it because she was a bad person who smoked, or, or did she not deserve it because she'd already been through so much? So it's hard to get into a question about who deserves what. Um, and because sometimes we we think unclearly, you know, our emotions make it difficult for us to think clearly, um, it's useful to get a different perspective. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at uh, a biblical perspective <coughs> that comes from... <laughs> An ancient document called Job, the the book of Job, and it's about a man named Job who who gets very sick. <laughs> and people have been using this for uh, centuries. We don't even know how long. It's it's uh, not dated. It doesn't say in the days of this king or that king. So we don't know when it was written. We do know that it was an old book by the time of Jesus. So um, centuries before the time of Christ. <laughs> People were getting perspective on people were getting perspective on uh, sickness from this book, and um, so uh, that's what we're going to do today. Now, if you're not if you're not a, a believer, if you're not sure what you think about uh, Christianity or, or the Bible or anything like that, that's fine. You're welcome to listen in, and you know you may get a different perspective, which will help you um, get some clarity about what it is you do believe. So, um, so I encourage you to to um, uh, listen in with the rest of us. Um, 
as we uh, as we look at this story. Um, so the story begins, or we're, we're picking it up. Uh, there's there's three sections to the book of Job. There's this long section in the middle where there, there's all these discussions about why people suffer misfortune, why they get um, sick. And then there's a beginning and an end. And the end um, kind of resolves uh, the matter uh, by saying, you know, God's God's on top of this. And that's pretty much all the information you get at the end. And at the beginning, it sets the stage. It sets things up. So how come uh, this man, Job, gets so sick? And so we're picking it up at the end of the beginning. So in chapter 1, uh, God and Satan have had a conversation. And uh, Satan said uh, that... Uh, uh, God said, look at Job. He's a, he's a great guy. He's blameless in all he does. And Job says, well, of course he loves you because he has, he has, um, he, uh, he has, um, been, uh, blessed by you so much. But if you take those blessings away, then he will curse you. So God says, try it. And, uh, Satan, you know, inflicts terrible misfortune on him. He, he uh, suffers the loss of all of his possessions, and his children die in tragedies. So, so in all this, it says God uh, he does not he does not bless, he does not curse God. So this is now coming back after that. So Satan and God have this is kind of round two, and God says, "Okay, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil." So God says. Just like I told you back in chapter 1, he's still blameless. He turns away from evil and he fears God. He persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. God says, he did nothing wrong. And you were, you, you, you told me I should, I should, uh, hurt him, uh, even though he had done nothing wrong. There was no reason to do that. And Satan answers, um, skin for skin, so Satan says uh, that that uh, there's there's a reason. You know, you know, I'm still right despite what happened in chapter one. I'm right. He says, um, all that people have, they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to his face. So Satan says, well, okay. What you you know the the important blessing is you blessed him with health and if you take that away then then he will curse you to his face. The um, and and you know before we go on I just need to kind of go off down a rabbit trail which is which is dangerous because Jesus tells us Satan is a liar um, and the father of lies and so we never know what to believe that you know if 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 um, if Satan says the sun rose, you, know, you might want to go check. So, um, so you know, be careful of you know listening to him. But let's suppose for a moment that this is really Satan's honest opinion. You know, we don't know because he's a liar. But suppose this is his honest opinion. He says people will do anything; they will jettison anything to save their lives. Think about that. That's not a compliment, Satan. If that's true, Satan does not like us because people do that all the time. Not this Monday, but the following Monday is the 78th anniversary of D-Day. 150,000 soldiers, 200,000 sailors were involved in that operation. There were 10,000 casualties and 4,414 killed in action just on the Allied side. It was a tremendous operation. They took those beaches 
at great risk of their own life. And, you know, this is Memorial Day. I heard the story of Dakota Myers. He is one of very few living Medal of Honor recipients. He received his uh, medal uh, for uh, the the action he had performed in the Battle of Ganjagal, Afghanistan. He saved uh, more than two dozen um, uh, uh, Afghan National Army and U.S. Army personnel when they had been cut off. They'd been ambushed, and he kept going back into the um, into the battle to rescue them. One one after another, or time after time. So he received the medal for that, and um, and it's just one more example of how people regularly, or, or not regularly, but often, will um, will put themselves at great risk for others. And of course, this week, we heard all the stories coming out of Uvalde. So you might have heard the story about Jacob Alvarado, the Border Patrol agent who was getting a haircut, and he... His barber had a shotgun, which I thought was interesting. So he took his barber's shotgun and drove quickly to the school and was able to rescue uh, dozens of students from uh, one wing of the building. And you might have heard about the other border patrol agent who uh, went in and shot the um, the uh, deranged individual. And uh, he was grazed with a bullet. That's his hat. So... Um, uh, just um, a quarter of an inch of difference, and he would have been killed. You might say, well, you know, they didn't exactly acquit themselves very well. You know, I've heard stories about all these different, you know, tragic mistakes that were made. Well, how about, how about, um, you know, that was their job. They should have done their job. You know, what would you expect? What about um, Angeli Gomez? She jumped over a fence and ran in to rescue her kids. Satan says that people don't care about anything else. All they care about is saving their life. So we know that that's wrong. I mean, we have too many examples to the contrary. We know that that's not true. Certainly God knows it. (coughs) But God doesn't argue with him. Instead, God says, very well, he's in your power. He, Job, is in your power. Only spare his life. So, Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord and he inflicts loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. I have no idea. Nobody knows what this disease is. It's described at various places throughout the, um, throughout the rest of the book. <laughs> but just from that section, it reminded me of the pictures. If you've seen the pictures of monkeypox, it's, it's not a pretty illness. So, Job is now sick. He's got loathsome sores from head to foot. Which raises the question, who's responsible? Who's responsible for Job's illness? Well, we just heard Satan was the one who inflicted him with this illness, right? But what about Job? I mean, what if Job had some comorbidities? Right? What if Job had not taken good care of his health? Maybe that made it worse. Maybe Satan would have been able to inflict such damage. Maybe if he hadn't been a lifelong smoker or whatever they did back in the, you know, minus eighth century or whatever. You know, what, what, does, does Job bear any, any, any responsibility for this? Is Job partially at fault? What about Job? Does he have responsibility? Well, we hear that that's not true. We hear that, um, that, uh, God has already pronounced him blameless 
Not once, but twice. Once in chapter 1 and again in chapter 2, when there's even more provocation. Job is blameless. We've heard it from no less of an authority than God. The person ultimately who is responsible for Job's illness is God. That Satan couldn't do anything until God said, very well, you may strike him, only spare his life. We cannot control sickness. We cannot control sickness because God does. God is in charge of the world. God is sovereign over heaven and earth. And that makes us uncomfortable. But it's what the book of Job says. God is sovereign. And nothing happens on this earth that is beyond God's purposes. It doesn't mean that God approves of everything that happens, except in the sense of I'm going to allow this to happen and I'm going to do something with it. God is responsible for everything bad that happens. And that's there is there is at least one good thing about that. It may make us uncomfortable, but there's one good thing about it, which is we know where to take our complaint. We know exactly who to ask questions of. We can go straight to God. God will never say, I didn't know. God will never say, I I tried, but I couldn't stop it. God says, I did know, and I did permit it. And that's good, because we can bring our questions to God. And the biblical word for bringing questions to God is lamentation. We can bring our lamentations to God. So we can ask God why. Now, Job asks why a lot in the rest of this book. And and he's going to ask over and over again, and so are his friends. They've got all kinds of ideas about why. And ultimately, in chapter 38, God says, because I have a reason. And that's as that's the closest we ever get to hearing the answer. God affirms that this has happened in accordance with his purposes. But we never hear what that is. We are never satisfied with the answer to why God permitted this. God has purposes that are beyond our understanding. Sickness is ultimately a mystery. So you can ask. There's no harm in asking. But... You may not get an answer. And honestly, let's think about it, really. Do you want an answer? You know, suppose God said, here's why you got cancer. You see this? It all works out. You know, not for you, not right away. You know, but in the age to come, everything will be this way because of the way I allowed this thing here to happen. Who wants to hear that answer? The reason your your child died in a car wreck The reason there was a shooting? Who wants to hear an explanation for that? Is there any explanation where you'd walk away and say, oh, okay, well then, that's different. I'm okay with it now. So, I don't know if an answer is really what we're looking for. So what we can do, we can lament, not so much to ask for reasons, but to ask for help and reassurance. To say, look God, you're going to get what you want ultimately. But, Here's what I want. I want a full cure. I want this to go into remission. I want to be healthy. I want her to be healthy. I want him to be healthy. That's asking for help. And sometimes 
often, I mean, how many people have recovered from terrible illnesses? Often, God does that. But we can also ask for reassurance. We can say, look, God, ultimately this is in your hands, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I want reassurance. Reassure me as I go through this that you are aware of what I'm dealing with, that you have a purpose even if it's beyond my understanding, even if I will never see it personally in this age. Give me reassurance. And remind me most of all, Lord, that you know what I'm dealing with. Remind me that the son suffered and the father watched him die. Give me reassurance, God. So, that is lamentation. Lament is asking for health, help and reassurance. Jesus told his disciples to avoid simplistic assumptions about sickness. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that this man was born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. God has a purpose for every disease, every disability. We may never see in this age what that purpose is. So, here we are. We know, we know who's responsible. We know where to bring our laments. Is there anything else we should do? Well, story continues. Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. There's two examples of the way people respond in this passage. His wife gives one. The wife said to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. She says, I see how badly you're suffering, and I know that God ultimately is responsible for what happens to you. Why don't you take control yourself? If you curse God, God will strike you dead and end your suffering. This is euthanasia. You can take control of this situation Job says, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. He's being kind. What he's really saying is, you're speaking like a blasphemer. In fact, you're, you're echoing, wittingly or not, you're echoing the words that, the, that Satan said a few verses earlier. So he could have said that, but instead he says, that's nonsense. You're speaking like a foolish woman. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? That's a great question. Nobody ever goes to the hospital and gets a bad diagnosis and says, why do I live in a place where I can get an MRI? Why me? You know, who goes to the hospital and says, I have access to drugs that cost thousands of dollars a dose. Drugs that didn't exist a year ago. Whoever goes and says, why me? He says, should we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So that's one response, is to say, take control. Take control, Job. Do what it takes. Make God end your suffering. The other response is illustrated by his friends. Job's three friends heard of all these troubles that had come upon him, and they each come from their own home. Uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. <coughs> Fan of the New York Jets. Um, <laughs> see, some of us are old enough. All right. They met together to go and console and comfort him. Now, remember, this is ancient world. 
they arranged this meeting. So it took time for the message about Job to get to them wherever they were, and it took time for them to get together to see Job. (laughs) So what are they doing? Well, they are not taking control because they don't have control. God has control. What they are doing is visiting the sick. We can't control sickness, but we can visit the sick. You know, some of us have the training and skills um, and the technology to be able to do more than simply visit. We can actually take care of the sick. We can, you know, invent vaccines. There's all kinds of things people can do, but most of us aren't in that situation. But every one of us can visit the sick. That's what these friends do. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with them on the ground seven days and seven nights. The the dust and the lament and so forth, raising their voice, they, they tore their robes. These are cultural practices that, that express their solidarity. You know, it's terrible what's happened to you. And then they sat down with him. So, what can we do? We can come eventually... And we can take a seat. You know, sometimes we can't get there and we say to ourselves, you know what, they've been sick for a week, they don't want to see me now. Um, no, that's probably the best time, is it? Because so often we say, well, you know, they may not be over it, but I'm over it. You know, it's no longer urgent in my mind. So come eventually and take a seat. Take a seat. Now, there are exceptions. You know, if the room is full... And you're kind of looking at them going, these are closer in. These are friends who are closer than me. Just kind of express your, your good wishes and, and leave. But, but, um, take a seat. Let them know that you're there for them. Now, how long do you have to sit there? Let them govern that. They may be sick. They, they may be really tired and not ready for a long visit. But let them decide. Say, you know, if you're not, if you're not, uh, this is not a good time for you. I can I can come back some other time. But let them decide how long you're going to visit. Take a seat. And as I mentioned to the children, don't feel like you've got to say anything. This is my... What's the opposite of a superpower? This is my super weakness. This is my kryptonite. I go to visit somebody in the hospital, and I've got to fill the air. I'm a little chatterbox. So don't feel like you've got to. I, I'm better than I used to be. I can promise you that. But it is hard for me because I want to put in my my um, two cents or I want to fill the, the silence. But don't feel like you have to because silence is golden and speak last. Job will now, if we, if we read ahead, Job will talk for chapter 3 and 4. And then in chapter 5, one of them Responds. So they're silent for seven days and seven nights, waiting for Job to speak. And when Job finally speaks, they listen, and then they respond. So don't feel like you have to be silent forever, but let them talk first. Let them let them set the pace of the conversation. Let them be your guide for the visit. Jesus talked about this. He said, during the the last judgment, when when the last judgment occurs, the king will say to those on his right, "Come." You who will receive good things from your father, 
inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Jesus says, the king will tell us, I saw. I saw when you visited the sick. And I saw when you didn't. And it matters. For Christians, no disease should be stigmatized. There is no disease that should ever be stigmatized for a Christian. Not COVID, not AIDS, not Alzheimer's. There's no mental health condition. There's no illness that should be stigmatized. Sickness. Sickness is a mystery, and we will never understand it in this age. But we can lament, because we trust that it is God's responsibility what happens, that God is sovereign over the earth, that God decides, God acts, and sometimes God permits terrible things to happen. So we can visit people who are afflicted. We can visit the suffering, not because we have words of wisdom to share with them, but simply because they need someone to visit. And we can look forward. We can look forward to the age to come. Because of what Jesus has done, God promises there will come a time when there will be no more sickness, no more dying, no more sadness, no more grief. Not from cancer or COVID, not from AIDS or Alzheimer's, not from monkeypox or mental illness. Thanks be to God. Amen.